Okay, good morning. Have you ever been called out for something that you should have done, or perhaps something that you should not have done? And you know that what the person is saying to you is absolutely 100% right, and they're saying it in a loving and respectful, gentle way, even if you don't want to admit it. Yeah? I think we can all say yes, though. Of course you have. We all have, right? We've all done things like that. Recently, my dear wife counseled me, and I say this with the, you know, the best of, best of, uh, uh, the best connotation, if you will. We'd been sat at the dinner table, and after dinner, I had more or less expected the kids to clear the table for us. I've been working hard all day. I deserve just to sit here for now while you guys clear the table. Thank you very much. Now, is there anything wrong with my kids clearing the table after dinner? No. But there is a problem in this situation. And even though Marie was, uh, you know, was speaking to me, not in front of the kids, right, privately, in a loving way, I was still grumbling on the inside like, oh, okay, I know that I'm not doing what I ought to be doing. What is it that I ought to be doing? Well, we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So today we're going to explore some things that we ought to be doing under the title Subject to Christ. Now, don't worry if you don't feel that you measure up to all of these things. There is a high bar set, as we are going to discover this morning. And these things, God reminds us himself that they take effort and perseverance. We are called through the pages of Scripture to persevere. And we are human, and sometimes we fail. And the good news is that there is grace for all of us, more abundant than we could ever need or imagine. So just bear that in mind as we speak today. But we are going to look at some of the things that we ought to be doing. Now, today's passage has become increasingly contentious in recent times. It kind of runs counter to our culture in some ways, as we shall see. And there are many different things to explore in this passage. This morning, we only really have time to scratch the surface. So if some of this piques your interest, and I hope it does, then consider studying this some more. Dig into the pages of Scripture. If it's the things to do with marriage and parenting, then read some of the other epistles, right? Read Colossians, read Titus, read the Lord's instruction. Perhaps suggest to your life group leader a a marriage or parenting study, if that's something that interests you, if you want to dive into these topics in more depth. If you're not sure what to suggest, feel free to come and uh, ask me about it. I can hopefully point out some things, or any of the other pastors, I'm sure, would be happy to do the same thing. Point you to some passages of Scripture, point you to some studies that would be good to do. But this morning we are going to hit the highlights and the major themes of this passage in Ephesians 5 and into chapter 6. Now I want to just do a quick spot check before we read. I'm really glad that Laura just encouraged everyone to read the end of this letter before next week. Now I'm not asking this, this is not a name and shame exercise. I'm just curious, how many people have read Ephesians 5 or 6 this week in preparation for today? 
Okay. <laughs> Don't feel bad about it. No need to put your head in your hands. But here's my encouragement to you. We're working through a, a book of scripture, a letter that Paul wrote. You will get much more out of this if you read that scripture ahead of time, if you dwell on it. If you come to Sunday morning knowing already what the Word of God says and waiting to hear how, uh, how we're going to instruct from it, that will be of benefit to you. So I encourage you, I, I doubly encourage you after what Laura just said, read the end of Ephesians before next Sunday. There's a lot packed into this passage today. There's a lot packed into next week's passage. Be familiar with these words of Scripture so that as we teach, uh, you already have the advantage of knowing what, what the passages say. It will help you a lot. We cannot, Sunday morning is not an all-inclusive time. We cannot teach you everything we ought to in a 65-minute sermon. Just kidding. <laughs> All right. So Ephesians 5, starting at verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies, he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. This passage is perhaps most well known for its call to uh, wives to submit and husbands to love. It's kind of what makes it famous or maybe infamous. But it starts with a different call. It starts with the call, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This applies to everyone. Where is it that we've just come from in Paul's letter? Well, if you cast your mind back to last week, 
Uh, Paul is talking about living as wise, not unwise, being filled with the Spirit, speak to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, make music to your heart, in your heart to the Lord, and always give thanks, and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. In other words, an effect, an outpouring of being filled with the Spirit and showing love to each other is to submit to one another, or perhaps to put it a different way, to be humble before one another. In Philippians 2, Paul famously says, do nothing out of uh, selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others more important than yourselves. Take a look around if you're in the room or at home. Do you consider the people that you are around right now more important than yourselves? Or are you sometimes tempted to think, well, I know I'm better than that person. They're just difficult and awkward to work with. And I know I'm guilty of doing that. I suspect I'm not alone. So this, is not a, this, is, this isn't just a let's all be nice together kind of a statement. Let's all speak nicely and politely to each other. Is that a good thing? Yes. But in humility, consider others more important than yourselves. I want to challenge us to think about that in our conversations, our interactions. Are we really valuing the people that we speak to more than ourselves? Now, submit in our culture is not a popular word, is it? I recently referred to it as a bit of a dirty word. Because it has these connotations. Submission is seen as all about the wielding of power over other people in our society. And and that leads to inequality. Sadly, it leads to abuse. It leads to bad things. And this is what people think of, I think, a lot when they hear the word submission. But this is not what biblical submission is all about. Biblical submission is not about wielding power over others. It's about responsibility and care. And the leadership responsibilities that are uh, bestowed on some people, whether it's husbands in a household, elders in a church, whatever it may be, those are positions of servant leadership. And we're not just submitting to somebody's will. It's not following instructions. That's obedience, and we're coming to obedience in a little bit. It's a different word. We submit our whole selves in a marriage relationship, that, that's a wife submitting her whole self to her husband, her joys, her cares, her concerns, her burdens. It is her husband's job, that is God-given job as head of the household to minister to her, to provide care and responsibility for her. And it's her role, as it was Eve's role, to be the helper in that. And we're going to unpack a little bit of that in just a moment. We turn to the end, the last chapter of John, we see Jesus speaking, this is after his resurrection, speaking to Peter. And he's reinstating Peter at this point, right? This is after Peter has three times denied knowing Jesus, after he has wept bitterly at his own, um, his own sinfulness. And then they're eating on the shore of the lake. And when they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. 
Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, Peter, son of, uh, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. See, Jesus is reinstating Simon Peter in a position of leadership in the church. And what is the instruction that he gives? It's not be the boss, lead the charge. It's feed and take care. Feed my sheep, feed my lambs. It's care and responsibility. We turn to Mark's gospel in chapter 10. We hear Jesus addressing his disciples, and he says this, he says, you know, he's talking to his disciples, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is instructing his disciples that as believers submit to their leadership in the church, their job is not to exercise authority over them, but to serve them, to be the lowliest among them. Likewise, at the Last Supper, Jesus is eating a Passover meal with his disciples. And he already knows that Judas Iscariot is about to betray him. But he gets up from the meal, takes off his outer clothing, wraps a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He talks with Peter about the need for how important this is. Peter asked to get washed head to foot, not just his feet. But when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now, Jesus, of course, is not literally telling his disciples to get up right there and then and start washing each other's feet. He says it himself, I'm setting you an example that to be a leader is to be a servant. And this is the picture of biblical submission. It should exist in the church and it should exist in a marriage. The husband has, is given this role as responsibility and care and servant leadership just like Jesus has done for the church. The wife is given the role as a helper, just as Eve was created as a helper for Adam. But I cannot emphasize enough how being a helper does not make someone any less important. Consider these verses that we've already just read in, um, in Ephesians, Paul saying there is no favoritism with God. There are none more important than others. But consider these verses 
out of Psalms and the New Testament. Psalm 54 reads, Surely God is my help. The Lord is the one who sustains me. Psalm 121 reads, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Hebrews 13 reads, So we say with confidence, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? John 14 says, But the advocate, the counselor, the helper, literally the parakletos, the one who comes alongside, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and cause you to remember all that I have taught you. Who is the helper in these verses? God himself, absolutely. If God is described as our helper, how could we ever think of that role as being demeaning or less important in any way? And what does God bring into these situations? He brings what David or John or the writer to the Hebrews does not have. His role as a a helper is essential because he brings something that those people do not have. Just as in a marriage, a wife brings gifts, abilities, character traits that a husband is not equipped for. So it is just as important. Equal, just not the same. And of course, the other side of this is husbands being instructed to love their wives. Now, I'm sure many of you will have seen this before, but I think it, it just it bears repeating. There are several words for love used in the New Testament. There is phileo, which is a kind of a fondness, an affection, a brotherly love. And this is a kind of love that certainly exists within a marriage relationship, but also exists in lots of other human relationships. There is eros, which is physical attraction, that which is designed to be enjoyed within a marriage relationship. And then there is agape, which is the selfless giving love. And that is the word that is being used here in Ephesians. Husbands, agape your wives. And this means, and sorry, I couldn't resist the... Anyone, did these actually get printed here? Love is cartoons? I don't know, they were, they were all over newspapers when I was a kid. In the, yeah, never mind, okay. <laughs> Com- completely gratuitous, uh, silly content. Agape is not a fondness or affection. It's not a physical attraction. It's a choice and an action. It is more than a feeling. It is a decision to do what is best for the other person, even if it is not what is best for you. It involves being willing to make sacrifices. If you've seen the movie A Knight's Tale, you may recall that towards the end of that movie, Jocelyn, the lady that uh, William is attracted to, um, tells him at the jousting tournament, or sends him a message, doesn't even tell him face to face, I would like, if you love me, I would like you to lose for me. And so he gets on his horse and he starts, you know, he sort of trots forward at the end of the jousting line and then he stops and all of his sort of, you know, team look up at him like, what are you doing? Don't you see the flag? And he stands, he sits on the horse and he says, losing. He doesn't want to lose. If you've seen the movie, you'll know how much he doesn't want to lose. But he is, he is asked to lose as a sign of his love to show that he actually loves Jocelyn. And he does start losing 
And then she goes all woozy and says, he loves me. And then it's all good after that. Oh, spoiler, sorry. It's 20 years old, that movie, if you haven't seen it by now. So husbands are called to love as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And what's interesting about this love is that it is unconditional. Jesus didn't wait for the church to deserve love before showing it to us. We are undeserving of his love. Similarly, husbands, our wives are not perfect. But we are not called to judge how much love they deserve and then to dole it out appropriately. We are instructed to love. Period. And this passage, this section of the passage to do with husbands and wives concludes with this verse. This is verse 33. Each one of you that is husbands also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, this is interesting. So in our life group, we've been uh, going through the Love and Respect series that uh, Emerson and Sarah Egridge put together. Some of you may well have done the same thing. And, um, the session we've just been through, uh, Emerson talks about um, uh, who moves first, right? If you're in this kind of conflict situation, he calls it the crazy cycle, you recognize something is wrong and you need to fix it. Who moves first? And his answer to that is, it's, it's a little bit goading. He's tooling with us a little bit. He says, whoever thinks they're the most mature should move first, right? In other words, if you can see that there's a problem, then you should be stepping forward to attempt to resolve it, not waiting for the other person to initiate. And this is very much in the spirit of Scripture. If you look at Romans 12, we see, we see instructions like outdo each other in showing honor, or so long as it depends on you, live at peace with all men. Like We are called as believers to initiate if we sense conflict or tension and to seek to resolve that conflict or tension. But what's really interesting about this verse is that there is only one command in it, in the Greek. It doesn't look like it here, does it? The husband is commanded to love. That verb love is in the imperative mood in the Greek. The husband must love. Instruction, imperative, command, do. The word for respect is in what's called the subjunctive mood. And I don't want to go all, you know, grammar boffin on you this morning, but in essence, the subjunctive mood is used to describe kind of a hypothetical. If I were a wiser man, I would speak less and listen more. It is in the subjunctive to say, if I were, it's a sort of a hypothetical. And that's the mood of the verb that's being used here. So perhaps a more accurate translation, maybe, I don't know, that's a bold claim for me to make because I'm not an expert Bible translator by any means. But perhaps a more accurate translation is to say husbands, uh, each husband must love his wife as he loves himself, that the wife might respect her husband. This reiterates the fact that husbands, you're called to be the leader. So if, if there's a question of which one of you should move first, there's actually only one of you who's being commanded to do so in this particular point in Scripture. And wives, if you think that lets you off the hook, here comes the kicker. Are you ready? This word for respect, it may be in the subjunctive mood, but do you know what it means? Do you know what word it is? It's a word that means to revere or to fear. In Greek, it is the word phobeo, from which we get phobia. 
Let me give you an example. There are many places it's used in the New Testament. Let me give you an example of another one of its uses. Are you ready? And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were phobeo. It actually says it twice. It says they feared with great fear in the Greek in that verse. But the angel said to them, Do not be phobeo. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Wow. Now I can almost hear the minds of all the wives in the room turning at the moment and saying, Hold on a second, Julian. Are you telling me that I am supposed to treat my husband as if he were an angel or the glory of the Lord? Is your husband an angel? No, he's a man. Is he the glory of the Lord? No, although he will partake in that glory. But what's interesting is that the call to husbands to love their wives is so high, so absolute, it's to mirror what Christ has done for the church, that a wife's response should be, wow, reverence. That's amazing. I said it was a high bar, right? It's a high bar on both sides. These are not my words. These are, this is straight, straight out of Paul's letter. So it's a very high bar. And really, it all comes back to not thinking of ourselves first. It comes back to humility and submitting to one another. The moment I think I'm more important than Marie, I have gone way off the tracks. The moment a husband or wife thinks they could do better in another partner, their marriage is way off the tracks. That's a really dangerous place to be. So, I should have mentioned up front, if you're not married or not yet married, don't switch off. Because maybe this is coming, right? And even if it won't apply to you in a husband and wife relationship at some point, it still applies to us as believers. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There's that word again. All right, it's a big deal. But wait, there's more. Let's move on. Obedience. We're not done yet. I said there was a lot to go through this morning. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. There is a difference between submission and obedience, and I have laid it out like this for us to look at. The word, the Greek word for submission is hupotasso, literally to put under. The Greek word for obey used here is hupo akuo. Akuo being the word from which we get acoustic. It has to do with listening or hearing, to hear underneath someone. And I put these two words on here, which I think sum this up fairly well, that submission in, in this sense is bidirectional. If we look at it in the marriage relationship, a, husband, a wife is called to submit to her husband, and a husband is called to love and lead his wife. There is a bidirectional nature to that relationship. One cannot work properly without the other side. In the case of obeying, sorry kids, but it's not bidirectional. It's kind of like Narnia, if you've ever read The Horse and His Boy. To hear is to obey, O mighty Tisrock. Right? That's what's actually being called for here. 
Children, hear and obey. It's the same word that is used, again, it's used a lot throughout the New Testament, but one example is Matthew 8.27, where Jesus has just stood up in the boat and calmed the storm. And the men were amazed and they asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. He spoke and they did. It's the same word. And how is it used in this passage? Well, it's used in three different ways. Children, obey your parents. Now, it's worth noting here that Paul is referring to children in the home. Here, He's clearly referring to children in the home. He goes on to say to, uh, to address fathers uh, bringing up their children in the home. And he references the commandment that says, honor your father and mother. Now, that's a commandment for all of us. And the way that that's done for a child in the home, or a primary way that it's done, is by obeying your parents. So, obey your parents, and in this way you actually fulfill one of the Ten Commandments, to honor your father and mother. As we get older, as we come to adulthood and making our own decisions, we are not called to obey our parents. We are called to honor them still. And I recognize that that can be difficult. I was having a conversation with somebody recently about how many broken families there are in the world, and their response was, every family is broken. All of our families are broken in some way, some more than others, perhaps. We might not know how to honor our father and mother. I haven't spoken to my father since I was about 12 years old. It makes it a little bit hard to honor him, but how do I do that then? How do I honor my father if I don't know him? Well, I figure at this point, the best thing I can do at least is not to speak badly of him. That's the least that I can do if I don't know anymore. But that could be a challenging situation. How do you honor your father and mother when we're all people and we will mess things up? The second application of this word obey is slaves and masters. Now, you might wonder why are we talking about this? in 2020. Slavery does not exist in the same way today as it did in those days. It is an unfortunate and sad truth that slavery still does exist. It's prolific in our world. It's just hidden now. It's not a problem that has gone away. But in this day and age, it was kind of the social construct of the time. Now, I want to emphasize the fact that Paul is certainly not condoning slavery in this passage, nor anywhere else in Scripture but he's speaking into the social social construct that exists. And so perhaps a more appropriate comparison to this today would be just to think of the workplace. Think of your taskmaster as opposed to a slave master. Some of us may think of those as the same thing. Hopefully not too many. But Paul is talking to those who work for an earthly master and saying... You should obey them with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. It struck me as interesting that this This instruction, if we apply it to 
the workplace today in the principle of doing our jobs well, whether or not our boss is watching us and we want to win their favor. It's something that's actually become, I think, a lot more significant during this year as so many of us have started working from home and we are literally not under the eye of our boss anymore, except for occasional Zoom calls or whatever else. But our call is to work as if for the Lord in everything. And that's hard. It's easy to get distracted when you're working at home. I know this. I've been practicing it all year and trying not to. But again, the call is a high one. The call is to do everything in our work as if working for the Lord, like a slave of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. But it's interesting that Paul finishes this, this passage by addressing masters directly uh, and sort of by extension all of us because he says, Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And we know that's true for all of us. Our master is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. And that kind of brings us full cycle There is, like I said, so much in this passage we could take weeks, a few months to really unpack all of the details. There is a lot of high calling in this passage. And I'm going to sum it up with three thoughts here that certainly don't do the passage full justice, right? Do not think that this just neatly packages everything that are in these words, but some important things for us to take away. That submission is not the same as obedience. That we are all to submit to one another. That that is challenging, right? Humility does not come naturally to most of us. And when we exercise it, sometimes we run out of patience and we stop being humble. Because we spend enough time being humble now, I just need to do something for me. Easily done. But the good news is that God is our helper. He promises His Holy Spirit to live in us to make all of this possible. Let's pray. Lord God, we want to recognize that our position before You is as Your servants. We want to recognize that our position before each other is as each other's servants. We pray that You would help us You would help every one of us to practice the humility that you call us to, to be willing to submit ourselves to others, to not think of ourselves as more important than others. We pray that by your Spirit, you would challenge us, poke us, nudge us when we are tempted to do that, when we are tempted to think of ourselves as more important and put ourselves first. We pray that you would guard us from that, We thank you for your instruction, for your design. We recognize that it does not necessarily run hand in hand with the culture around us. But Lord, we want to trust you. We want to trust your truth, knowing that what you tell us as true is absolutely true, is eternally true. We pray that you would strengthen our marriages, our families, our friendships, 
We pray that you would help us to submit to one another, not grudgingly, but with joy and out of love for you and for each other. And we pray that you would transform us as believers, as husbands or wives or children, parents, as brothers and sisters in Christ as a church body, that you would transform us as we submit to your leadership, to your goodness, to your truth, and as we submit to each other in the humility that you call us to. We pray that you would not let us get distracted or um, corrupted by the beliefs or the opinions that we hear around us in the world. We pray that you would help us to cling to your truth in all that we think and all that we say and all that we do. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.